Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. This is Bump and Stacy on Seattle Sports. Streaming through the Seattle Sports app. Now, here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Stacy Ross. Here we go now. Well, we know that every single year in any league, but in the NFL, there's going to be a player that has a breakout season. Um, This year, I mean, around the league, oh my God. um, Let's see, this is not the best example, but you had Rashi Rice, who had a great season and an otherwise down year for Chiefs pass catchers, wide receivers, that is. Rashi. Rashi Rice. Rashi. Rashi. Okay. Yeah. You got it. Rice. (laughs) (laughs) You had, uh, let's see, Mostert didn't have like a breakout year. Um, Sam Laporta uh, set records. Oh, Puka Nakua, obviously a fantastic Mm -hmm. year for the Rams. There's always someone that just has a breakout season where you go, either where'd that guy come from? Or like, wow, that's really awesome to see that for him. Um, For the Seahawks in his rookie season, it was Reek Wolin. I don't want to say it was a breakout year for Devin Witherspoon, who's the number five overall pick, and we all expected to be pretty solid. Did you expect that, though? I was hoping for it. Anything less than, wow, he's a difference maker would have felt like a disappointment, which Mm -hmm. is an unfair bar, but one that exists nonetheless. Anyways, right now we're looking at which young Seahawk is most in need of a breakthrough in 2024. And here's what's fun about this challenge. It's almost kind of like, which one would you most want it to be because it would be the best news for the team? Like, I would love for... Um, Reek Wolin to have another breakout year so that he and Devin Witherspoon could be this amazing lockdown corner uh, back tan- um, you know, tandem. But there is a different name that I have on my list because I think it would be more impactful. So, Bump, which young Seahawk is most in need of a breakthrough 2024 season? Uh, well, I'm going to do two because okay. you pretty much just said the one I was going to pick. Okay. Uh, and it's Reek Wolin. I, I like, I think he needs to do it because. Um, just the way the game is played these days, right? He's going to be asked to set edges sometimes and to make tackles. You need to get better at that, right? He is going to should be asked to lock down one side of the field. If you got Rico one side, Spoon on the other side, locking them down, I feel really good about that situation, man. Rico Willen had, what, six interceptions his first year, mm-hmm. made it to the Pro Bowl, enters this year a little banged up, not the same guy, has only played the position essentially uh, a DB like three years out of his whole football career, right, ever since a kid. So I'm, I'm looking at Rico and saying, okay, I would love for you to do his thing. But the guy, the other guy I'm looking at, is I need this guy to have a big year because I feel like somebody in his group is going to be missing. I feel like the Seahawks are going to look at that receiver room and say, maybe we can save some money here. Don't think they should do it, but I think they they have to explore that, are going to explore because of the cap hit. Mm-hmm. So I'm looking at JSN and saying, great first year, man. It exceeded my expectations. When I, um, when I was looking at JSN, I was hoping that he would come in half about 400 yards, a few touchdowns, two or three touchdowns, and call it good. No, 63 receptions, 628 yards, four touchdowns, and you see the potential in this young man. I'm looking at the receiver room, and Tyler Lockett is getting up there again. I don't want to get rid of Lockett. I don't want to get rid of DK. Uh, but I think that just because of age with Lockett and as much as he's, as he's getting paid, and then value with DK, like they can go out and get, um, I think, a second-round pick for DK, mm-hmm. maybe a couple players, who knows. Uh, age and value is, what make him, is what's making me look at this receiver room and saying, all right, if one of those guys go, JSN has to be a dog, and I think he's on his way um, to becoming a dog. This is not my answer, but it is on the Mac and Jack's text line, so let's talk about it before I do mine. From Christian in the 206, K9 for me. If our back is balling, we're contending. Yeah, I like that. Great run game. Nice little one-two combo back there. If you get Ken Walker going, 
That means that Zach Charbonnet is going to have some wiggle room as well. You're not going to be asking a lot of Zach Charbonnet, too, if K-9 can get going. I like that pick, man. We all know that Geno is one of the best in the game when it comes to play action. He, he He's great under center. You fake the handoff. You keep the back to the defense. Boom, you roll out that thing, and you take a shot down the field. But if K-9 isn't doing K-9 type of things, then that's obviously a bit more difficult. Also, let's be real. Like, when any offense is at its best, it's when it's dynamic. I mean, even mm-hmm. the Chiefs, when they did have a better wide receiver group, when they had Tyreek Hill, you still had them going, yeah, we need to be able to run the ball to balance it because that's just football. It's a basic principle of football. And the better you can be there, the more dynamic you can be in terms of play calling. Look at what the 49ers are able to do. That is in part also because of what Debo can do and because they have fullback and because they use their tight end in different ways. So a little bit of like it is being able to line guys up in different spots. But you can become a really dynamic, versatile offense when you really get that run game going. Um, so I like that one. Two people texting in Derek Hall. Yeah, man. That, that's a guy who looks great in his uniform. He wears those short shorts during training camp. The shortest shorts I've ever seen in my entire life, and that is including when Luke Wilson was trying to champion Techno Thursday. Thighs are just popping out, you know what I'm saying? That lower body. He looks like a football player. Now, everybody doesn't get it their first year. Everybody doesn't just hit the NFL scene and they're automatically a main contributor on a football team, man. Sometimes it takes two to three years, and Derek Hall might be that type of guy. Could you imagine if Derek Hall gets going, Jenna Walsh is healthy, Boye Mafe continues to grow at his position, um, we'll see what they do with Daryl Taylor. Say they Daryl Taylor's back. He does his thing. Athletically, you look at the the edge and you go, physically, there are some guys there. But sometimes you got to be in the right situation with the right coaches. Um, the mind has to be right. Uh, and other things have to happen for you. So, no, I like I like the Derek Hall. I was excited when they drafted him. I went yeah. back and watched his film. And he was the most athletic person on the field more than half the time when I watched him. He was at Auburn, I believe, at Auburn. Uh, so, yeah, it would be nice to have Derek Hall step up. Because then if Derek Hall were to step up, I think he becomes one of Mike McDonald's guys. We're talking about his guys. He's only been in the league one year, didn't play a lot last year. If he were to step up, that makes his defense that much more dynamic. Which young Seahawk is most in need of a breakthrough 2024 season? You can text your answer into the Mac and Jack's text line, 866-979-3776. You said you're looking at JSN. You're looking at Reek Wolin. Text line has Ken Walker and Derek Hall as popular answers. Mine is not a sexy answer. And I don't mean to offend anyone listening, any of the big guys listening, but um, offensive line is not a sexy position, okay? It is hey, they, incredibly... they used to get all the girls in college, man. I believe it. Big boys. You know what I mean? Um, they could tear up a buffet. <laughs> but it is a it is an exceptionally difficult position to watch, to grade, to as a non-former player to like understand whose assignment is whose and what who's doing what. Um, and so I think they're often misunderstood. You also uh, rely... Uh, way more than other guys on the guy next to you or, you know, if you're an interior on the guys on either side of you. But I'm looking at Charles Cross. And the reason I'm looking at Charles Cross is not only because he kind of kick-started the return from the Russell Wilson trade with that number nine mm-hmm. overall pick, but because if you can find a left tackle that is your franchise guy, and I don't mean like, uh, hey, Jermaine Fetty was here as a right tackle for all four seasons of his rookie contract and barely missed time and he made every start and that's great. I mean like a 
Dwayne Brown before him in the Houston's had a kind of bad divorce where like he's an all pro. He's a pro bowler. He's there every single time. He's the leader in that room. Like the lockdown dude, the equivalent of like Jason Kelsey for the Eagles where like as a center, that guy's not going anywhere. You depend on him. He's so integral to your success that people don't even realize it sometimes from the outside looking in. That's what I want for Charles Cross. So I don't always know what a breakthrough season is going to look like for a tackle. Like, oh, like a, a great pass blocking grade from pro football focus. No He's not penalties. out there. You know what I mean? Yeah, no penalties, quiet on the stat sheet. But that's what I need. That's what I desperately need for this team. I'm with you. Always look at Trent Williams and go, man, I'd love to have one of those. Now, my man got dominated a bit in the Super Bowl. It's the first time I've seen him get a set on his wallet, uh-huh. as our Rabel says all the time. Um, but, yeah, there's nothing like a good offensive lineman. And they're the ones who are the tone setters on offense, right? You got your leader at the quarterback spot. You got your divas on the outside. I'm a receiver. Yes, we are divas. But you know why we're divas. Don't make me go to bat for my boys right now. All right? <laughs> but the offensive line, they're the attitude. They're the guys who set the tone. They're the first guys off the bus. They're the guys who are in the trenches going to battle every single play. On the outside, say, see, I can run 30 plays and not get touched. All right? I can run, I can go a whole game and not get hit, right? In the trenches, you are battling. You know what's better than a two-headed monster? A three-headed monster? Three-headed monster. Hey! Where's Kenny McIntosh, man? Oh, We've where been is he? begging to see this young man on the football field, and we still haven't seen that. So there's another one I want to sneak in there as a, as a guy who needs to have a breakout season or just have a season. He didn't get opportunities. Again, what does the new coaching staff do? Maybe they look at Kenny McIntosh with, with different lens, different perspective, and say, you know what? Let's, let's give this guy a chance. Mike McDonald was just in the college game. I'm sure he was watching what Georgia was doing over there. I'm sure he saw Kenny McIntosh and said he would give my defense fits because you motion him out the backfield and you line him up in the slot against a safety, a nickel, whatever you want to do, and he can get money. So I'm looking at Kenny McIntosh too and saying, I just want to see what he can do. He looked great in training camp with just shirts and shorts on, put them pads on and let him go. I was really curious about that. And I didn't hear anything about like, oh, there's some secret reason he's not being played. I do know in the past there have been players where I didn't realize it at the time, but I'd hear afterwards like, oh, he he made coaches mad or he mm-hmm. he didn't give it his all. And so he was benched for whatever reason you hear about it after. I haven't heard anything about Kenny McIntosh after, but it is one of those weird scenarios where you go, did he have an injury he was nursing that like we didn't realize was so severe? Like, why wasn't he out there? Like, it's not like you were perfectly um healthy and capable with your running backs all season long. It's not like you couldn't have used at times some extra running back help. You know what I mean? I don't remember the exact scenario when um, Drew Locke started for Philadelphia, but you had moments where you'd think naturally like you'd want as much skill position player help as possible. But man, you know. my, my man, Kenny McIntosh got no offensive snaps and got 13 special teams. That's snaps. weird to me. Yeah. And I, I get it. It's hard to feed Three running backs. I get that. There's not enough snaps in a football game to get everybody touches. But you can sprinkle my man in every now and then. So when I when I see a guy who has the potential or the skill that this young man has, I think you start to question all the things that we mentioned, right? We didn't hear anything about his relationship with the coaches. We didn't hear anything about his work ethic. We didn't hear anything about um, him not being able to to pick up plays or, or protect the quarterback and pass pro. And obviously, and honestly, if that is an issue and we didn't hear about it, that's good for the Seahawks because mm-hmm. they're keeping their their business in-house but there has to be something else because the physical I don't think is the problem but I do understand that it's tough to get three running backs in football uh, a couple other names popping up on the Mac and Jack's text line I'm 
I don't mean to be disrespectful. I'm just surprised with how common this name is. Kobe Bryant. Mm-hmm. It's just I, I was expecting more of like a very obvious, you know, first, second year starter type. Like I was expecting someone to be like Devin Witherspoon, Kobe Bryant, a popular answer. That's my dude. People be on my head about Kobe Bryant, too, man. Um, versatile corner nickel safety move him around that's another guy that i feel like gets a a fresh start with this um with this group or this uh this coaching staff because we assume that jamal adams isn't going to be here i think we're assuming that we're yeah i'm 60 40 jamal's not going to be here as we get closer it might increase or decrease we shall see but um if Jamal's not going to be here, there's a couple things you got to do. You got to go ahead and get a safety in this draft. You got to acquire one uh, in free agency, or you got to develop a guy like Kobe Bryant. And I think he's more than capable. People always point to the tackling. That whenever I bring up Kobe Bryant's name, that's what pops up on the text line. Everyone struggled tackling last year. Nobody was safe when it comes to getting the the ball carrier down on the ground. So, uh, yeah, let's see what Kobe can do. Uh, from Kevin and Callie, hey, Bump, maybe McIntosh was a John Schneider pick and not playing him was Pete's way of saying, I don't really want him. I don't know, but Kenny McIntosh from afar seems like a guy Pete Carroll would really like. Seems like it. That's 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 what makes it weird because it, it seems situation. like he would help this football team, even on special teams, right? When... um. Who's a kid from New Mexico? Jared Reed goes down. Why mm-hmm. not throw Kenny McIntosh in there? There's there's something off in that relationship. So I'm happy for him. He gets a fresh start with this group, and uh, and he wants to play. You remember the call when uh, he got picked up by the Seahawks in the I sixth love, round? The best He's crying. Um, his brother's a cool go Cougs. Like, it was emotional. And I think he he can help this team. So I want to see him. He was a great draft call. If you guys haven't heard that, I think it's probably up on the Seahawks website. Like the interview that he has with reporters was hilarious. Um, all right, we've got Derek Young on here, Jake Bobo, um, Olu Olu with Timmy. Someone had a good take about Jake Bobo, and I've heard that oh, take before. Oh, that he that he should add some weight he should and be bulk a tight up end. and be a tight end. I can see that happening, man. I mean, don't get it twisted. He can run routes. If you watch Jake Bobo run routes, his body language is great. Um, he's got some twitch to him. He's not a guy that's gonna beat you for fifty or sixty yards. You use him in the red zone, but they're gonna be they're gonna have to make some decisions at tight end here pretty soon. I can see Jake Bobo bulking up and being a tight end. Tight end is one of the weirder positions because not only are Noah Fant and Colby Parkinson set to become unrestricted free agents, but there's another player, Will Disley, who could be looking at a potential cap casualty situation. Bob Condota is going to join us at one to talk about that. And we'll talk about it a bit at 1245 to kind of prime you guys for that conversation. Before we get to any of it, though, a couple things. Number one, we're getting to the Mariners at 1145 in about 30 minutes. And number two, right now it's time for four down territory. This is Four Down Territory, going inside, inside the, the game. game with former Seahawks and Coug wide receiver Michael Bumpus. First down, who's another player you'd like to see in the Mike McDonald transfer portal? I'm just trying to grab all those Ravens. All of them. Matabuke, uh, Queen, and now there's a new name I'm throwing into the mix, and that's uh, Geno Stone, not Smith. Oh, I, I always like say Smith when I think of this guy, but Geno Stone, man, he had himself a year. He's a safety. Again, we talk about the safeties. We, we're assuming that there's a chance Jamal's not going to be here. Maybe Kobe Bryant fills in. But um, if Mike McDonald can go get his guy, why not go get his guy? He signed a one-year deal with Baltimore last year. He's coming off his best year as a pro. 68 tackles and seven interceptions. It's nuts. Um, he could be Jamal Adams' replacement if that's what you want to do. I think the more guys you can bring over that are familiar with what you want to do, the better. Oh, also missing Van Noy yesterday. So I'm saying, look, somebody who wore purple last year needs to be wearing blue this year on this defense. Not only 
for the production on the field, but just being another mentor out there, mm-hmm. a guy that you can count on. I remember my my freshman year or my rookie year in the NFL, man, Bobby Ingram was everything. I'm asking Bobby every single question. I'm watching what he does, and I'm learning from this dude. They need that guy on this defense, man. Mike McDonald is a great teacher. I've watched his uh, his installs several times. Great communicator. I understand what he's talking about. I understand that defense just listening to him. Um, but why not have one of your guys out there that already knows this? No, it's a 3-4 defense. It's not like he's coming over here and he is going to say some things and people are going to scratch their head and look at him crazy, right? But there is something to be said about a guy on the field who is an extension of you as a coach and a guy like Gino, who's had some success over there, a guy like Queen, a guy like Van Noy, um, Matabuke, which is a, a far-fetched dream. That's not going to happen. But uh, yeah, more guys who wore purple last year, show up and wear blue this year. I think the better. Second down. What NFL rumor have you heard but don't agree with? Man, Nick Chubb. They're saying he might be a cap casualty. And I'm looking at this guy. He's uh, set to make $11 million next year. If he were to get cut, man, that's a $4 million in dead cap. But say what you want about Deshaun. Let's separate how you feel about Deshaun. Just talk about him as a football player. As a football player, Deshaun is a baller when he's at his best, right? He's never had, oh, he's had one 1,000-yard rusher in the backfield with him when he was with Houston. Could you imagine what Deshaun Watson could look like if he has a number one receiver, which he does, he has a baller at tight end, which he does, and he has Nick Chubb in the backfield. He only played in six games this year. Deshaun Watson, Chubb played in two. I'm looking at... Uh, I'm looking at Watson. I'm going, look, I can imagine him with a running back in that backfield and the things that he can do. Chubb has had four consecutive seasons over 1,000 yards. Now, you're going to look at his injury, and I get it. It was nasty. I hate looking at that film. Mm -hmm. It's happened to him before. He's done that before at Georgia, and he bounced back. Um, I'm saying give this guy a chance, man. If you really want a return in your your investment with Deshaun Watson, you got to pair him up with a good run game. Maybe Kareem Hunt can do it. Maybe they believe in him. We shall see. But before Nick Chubb was hurt, he was considered one of the best running backs in this league. I think you got to give him another shot if he is healthy and see what he can do with Deshaun Watson in the backfield. Third down. Let's talk reunions. What's one you'd like to see? Man, I would love to see. Now, last year, all the hype was what team in the preseason? Uh, Lions? Nah. Well, oh, Lions, Jets. Jets. Jets, right? Yeah. All about the Jets. Aaron <laughs> Rodgers in New York wearing that green and it took what six or seven plays before his season was over four four plays excuse me (laughs) excuse me I added too much there four right. why not see Devontae Adams back with your guy Aaron Rodgers over there in New York man Um, he's balled out when he's with the Raiders no denying 1,500 yards, 14 touchdowns in 2022, 1,100 yards, 8 touchdowns in 2023, but the Raiders are 8-8 eight and 6-11. Eight and six and 11. Antonio Pierce is the head coach over there. I think you want to keep a guy like Devontae Adams, but also look at that reunion and say, why not? Yeah. Why not? He's set to make $16 million in 2023. The Jets have $7 million in cap space. Obviously, they're going to move things around if they were to try to get this deal done. Why not send Devontae? He's 32 years old, right? The, the clock is ticking. He got maybe three or four good ones left in him. And he, even that's pushing it. At 32, you start to slow down a bit. But Devontae Adams' game has never been um, flashy run by you. He's a great route runner, uses influence, great in the red zone, beautiful hands. I'm just saying, man, you separated from your girl. Get back together in New York, and let's see what happens. <laughs> I'm looking at a couple other top free agents to see some potential reunions. I think we're expecting a few guys to be on the move, like Kirk Cousins, uh, to be leaving Minnesota um, I'd wonder if Tampa Bay hangs on to Mike Evans. He, he has been so underappreciated as one of the most solid contributors and consistent contributors in Man. the league with like a 10th consecutive 1,000-yard season. Unreal. Um, 
Odell Beckham Jr. set to become a free agent. Hear me out to the Giants. <laughs> <laughs> Run it back. Make it happen. Run everything back. I'm looking through a couple other names. Ah, there's not a lot of like really fascinating reunion choices here. I like that one. That's, that's a good one. Fourth down. Talk offense. What position group can have the biggest impact next year? Big ups to my O-line. Starts and in with you. I get that. Okay. We're talking about guys who touch the football and we just mentioned the position group in the previous segment, but the tight ends, the tight ends. Now I've watched a lot of Grubbs film and I love what he does with those tight ends. They are heavily involved in the run game when it comes to the pin and pull and counter and power and all that good stuff. Um, he will put three tight ends out there at a time, two, one. He'll release them up the seam. He does a great job of getting those guys in space. And I look at this group. Now, we know things are going to change in that in that group. We're assume, we'll see what happens with Uncle Will Disley. Uh, Kobe Parkinson and Noah Fan are both free agents. But I'm excited about the tight ends. I was excited about the tight ends when Shane Waldron was here because mm-hmm. he comes from a tight end background. But it just didn't hit the way that we thought it was going to hit. Again, when you have a new coaching staff, you start to think about all the possibilities. And you look at Ryan Grubb's offense. I don't think the tight ends had great numbers in that offense because they didn't need to have great numbers. But the influence they have on this play calling is fun to watch, man. Uh, Again, the tight ends are the Swiss Army knife of the offense. They are attached to the offensive line. They can motion out the backfield, line up in the slot or outside. We even saw these tight ends in the backfield as fullbacks last year. That just tells you the versatility of the tight end. You look at the best teams in the game. Who are the four teams? left. We had the the Lions against the Niners. And then the Laporta Chiefs in Baltimore. and George Kittle. Yeah. You got the Chiefs in Baltimore. You got Andrews and Likely over there. Yeah. And then you have Travis Kelsey. You need a baller tight end and then some support with them as well. So I'm looking at the tight end group and saying, go ahead and do your thing. I want to see what Grubb does. What do you say about people who look at what San Francisco has done with Kyle Juszczyk and say like, oh, what if Seattle needs to happen to a fullback again? I'm always there. I mean, I know Ballor is there, but they don't use him like a fullback. They use him as a special teams captain. Again, you know what? I got to go back and see how often Grubb used a fullback. That'd be interesting to look at. I will report back tomorrow. Yeah. Great. (laughs) Because, I mean, again, it's it's one of those things where it's like, okay, is it something that Kyle Shanahan and the 49ers tapped into in part because of what Juszczyk can do? Like, I think back to, God, was it a game against... uh, was that against the Lions when Juszczyk made that unreal catch, like, right along the mm-hmm. sidelines? Like, that's not it like was a, the Lions. That's not some typical, like, oh, you're third running back. It was a Super Bowl. He made a catch on the sidelines right? of the Super Bowl, I believe. Yeah. yeah. There's, there are certain plays where you're like, okay, part of it isn't just, yeah, throw in any fullback. It's this person being a fullback makes the plays that you can make really versatile, but he's also a baller. Um, but I have, I see that question all the time all of the time from listeners about like should the Seahawks tap into that there's always a time and a place for a fullback I know that um people can't name many fullbacks in this league I can name two honestly yeah uh, I can Ballor name and you oh I can name two I can name <laughs> right? two I can name two uh, but <laughs> you can use a tight end obviously when uh in um obvious run distance, second and short, third and short or whatnot, down on the goal line. But if you have a guy that's dynamic like a check man, the possibilities are great because all defense do is they match up with your personnel. You see a fullback run out there and a couple of tight ends, you bring out the big boys and say they're going to run the rock. Imagine if you have a versatile tight end and a versatile fullback, the things that you could do, just watch the 49ers. They do it all the time. You're listening to Bump and Stacy on Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. The college football playoff unanimously approved their new seating, and it's already making people mad. We'll tell you why next. 
This is The Timeline with Bump and Stacy. Brought to you by 1-800-DUIOA. Well, people are getting mad online. This time, it's about the college football playoff format rules for the new 12-team format. So, uh, this news is from yesterday with it being in the timeline because of some feedback that's come out since. So, if you missed it yesterday, the College Football Playoff Committee unanimously approved their new seating for a 12-team format on Tuesday. So, it's going to be the five highest-ranked conference champions meaning the Power Four and then Group of Five. Plus. Whoa, 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 whoa. Pac-12 needs to say in this. Washington State and Oregon State need to be in this mix. So glad you said that. Thank you. Uh, so it's going to be the five highest-ranked conference champs plus seven highest-ranked at-large schools. Wazoo President Kirk Schultz was instrumental in getting it changed to the 5-7 model. Um, and the reason that there was a little bit of a delay is obviously because of the Pac-12. He and um, uh, Oregon State were working together to, you know, try to be ready. So this is what ESPN says. Neither school can qualify for an automatic bid as a conference champion in each of the next two seasons. So Kirk Schultz conceded the seven, five plus seven, the seven at-large bids would be more beneficial to them than the proposal of six conference champions and six at-large teams. I like the six conference champions. You do? Yeah. Well, there you go. They're the best. I mean, SEC champion, <clears throat> you know you're going to get a ball out of there. The yeah. Big Ten, everybody. I mean, if you win your conference and you're a part of the Power Five, you should be automatically in. But they're saying six conference champions. So who, who would be the, the sixth conference? I don't exactly understand it. This is his exact quote. He just said, for our two schools in the Pac-12, there's no question that the 5-7 format, meaning seven at-large bids, is better than six. There's no question our football coaches are going to want to compete for one of those seven slots, and seven is just better than six. So maybe the idea is that it would... I don't know. I don't I don't fully understand. In part because I don't fully understand how the Pac-12 is going to work. It's not going to work. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, I don't, I don't exactly know like what's going to work here. That's not actually what people are getting mad about though. Like that's what we're talking about because we are a Seattle sports radio station with a Coug as my co-host. And so we're talking about that. What people are getting mad about is actually primarily people who would be really, really good teams, potentially like AP top five schools, Mm -hmm. but not part of those conferences, meaning independent Mm. schools, meaning schools like Notre Dame. So, Uh, Joe Pompliano tweeted, the new college football playoff puts the four highest-ranked conference champion seeds as one through four. That means that if a school like Notre Dame is the number one-ranked team in the country via, like, an AP poll, Mm -hmm. they would still get the number five seed, requiring them to win four straight games to win a title. That's brutal. Um, Why is Notre Dame in this position? Because they're independent. Who decided to be independent? Notre Dame. So I get the concern about Notre Dame having to go through a gauntlet to make it to the championship, but that's them. Join a conference then. I believe they joined the ACC for a year. Um, I forgot when it was. I think they joined it for a year. But I don't feel bad for Notre Dame because they did it to themselves. Now, the reason why they did it, because they get they to control their, their money. NBC plays our airs every Notre Dame game. So you're going to benefit. You benefited by going independent and doing your thing, but you can't cry about it now. If you want a fair uh, go at this, then go ahead and join a conference. Well, and Chris Vanini said that, and he was like, by virtue of not being in a conference, there's one less thing, a conference title game that you have to play. 
So he said it all kind of works out. Notre Dame instead gets a first round game to get to the second round rather than playing a conference championship, which they would never have to do. He also says Notre Dame, Notre Dame agreed to this three years ago. They were part of the group that came up with it. Mm. That being a 12 team college football playoff. So he's like, look, if you're Notre Dame, it's easier for you to make the playoffs when it's 12 teams. Right. So I'm sorry that like you can come up with a potential scenario where you're a top four ranked team in the country and it doesn't work out for you. But guess what? You ultimately wanted this because it expands the field. You don't play a conference title game. So why don't you look at it instead as having like one extra game added because you don't have to do that. And those schools do. Exactly. Like, Tough stuff. You did this to yourself, Notre yeah. Dame. No one feels <laughs> bad for you. You're always on TV. I can't tell you the last time they won a national championship. It's not like they're Georgia or Bama or Ohio State, the teams you know are going to be good every single year. I, I feel no sympathy for uh, for Nor- Notre Dame. All right. Some Angels weirdness. Uh, oh, I struggle with his name. First baseman, uh, Nolan Schoenel. Oh, well, used a weird (laughs) exercise regimen to prepare for the upcoming season. Uh, So two days a week. (laughs) This is an exercise schedule that I need for two (laughs) days a week. His exercise schedule was that he would stand, just stand from the time he woke up to the time he went to bed. So the entire point is at no point do you lay down at no point. Do you sit down at no point? You just continue to stand and you kind of like push through. So it's from this really cool feature in The Athletic, and he talks about, like, actually being in pain from doing this. So he's spending two days a week, just two days a week, standing from the second he wakes up until he goes to bed, with the only exception being that he can sit down for meals. You know how slowly I would be eating? What's the benefit? What's the, the benefit? The idea is that you're kind of pushing yourself that like, I don't know if it's if the intent is to actually sculpt muscle or if it's, it's a not. cardio if thing. That's, if that's the I goal, you're doing it wrong. I think it's like a discipline thing or whatever. Uh, go <laughs> hit the treadmill, lift some weights, do some cardio. And there are other things to do. That sounds, you know what? No disrespect to baseball players. The most skilled game out there. That is some lazy baseball stuff right there. I'm going to stand for my work. I'm going to wake up at 830 in the morning. And you know that's what? <laughs> and I'm not going to sit one time. Okay, I will let you know. In this feature, he says he was in pain already by like 1 or 2 p.m. I believe from it. From at no point sitting down. I believe it. Yeah. I go to my son's uh, tournaments, and if I'm standing too long, yeah, I start to feel it in my lower back. You know, he's only 22 years old, too. That's, so some, lazy, like, that's some lazy stuff right there, Stacey. I, 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 What'd you do to work out today? I stood. Yeah. You know? It's like, well, you could just, you know, walk uphill on a treadmill, maybe get some Pilates in. There's got to be some signs behind it. I, I, I need more. There has to be some signs behind it. I'm sure there is. I'm sure there is. Um... So it the the feature does say uh, that there is a benefit to standing on your feet for long periods, uh, but it's genuine. This is the athletic term. It's generally not considered um, a popular or effective <laughs> uh, exercise routine. <laughs> but still, you know what? Hey, whatever um, works whatever for you. Whatever works for you, fine. Uh, MLBPA executive director Tony Clark admitted the players union is frustrated. Why? Because the new fanatics produce Nike uniforms look like trash. Yeah. <laughs> they yeah. are not happy. They look so cheap. They they look like the uh, the jerseys I used to have to get when I was a kid because I couldn't get the real ones. We couldn't afford it, you know? So you mm-hmm. kind of get the ones that resemble the authentic Just ones, but they, they're not. They look like Shein baseball uniforms. Like, yeah, that's they do. what they look like. Yeah. They look like you order that thing through Wish that's and it's going Timu. to fall apart before it gets to you. <laughs> 
Timu MLB is what that is. Yeah, that's that's horrible. That's the, a bad look. I know. There's a clip of Cal wearing them. It's like you can see the board, the piping, the like navy blue or teal piping uh, through the white pants because yeah. that's how sheer they are. It's, it's all bad. It's Change that immediately. It's, Trying to cut corners, don't do it with the uniforms. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not a fan of it. But uh, but anyways, neither are players, and that's why the players' union is getting involved. Last star or last star, uh, last story here. Red star Ellie De La Cruz hit a batting practice home run. Did you? I'm sure you did see this, that Shohei Otani did it in his very first BP for the mm-hmm. Dodgers. Of course. Mm-hmm. Anyways, that's not who we're talking about. <laughs> we're talking about the Reds. Ellie De La Cruz um, hit a home run uh, in batting practice, casual, off of Hunter Green. Um, that ball that he hit then broke a window on Green's car. It's a. Is it Maybach? Yeah, that's how you're supposed I'm, to say it, right? I'm too poor to say. I say I'm, I'm too poor to know. Maybach music. I do too, because that's how I understand it. It's right. Maybach, right? Maybach. I feel like it's Maybach. you have your nose up in the air if you say it like that. Maybach. Exactly. It's actually Maybach. Maybach. It's Louis Vuitton. <laughs> no, it's not. Well, you know how much old, old boy got paid De La Cruz last year? $720,000. So, yeah, he can probably afford to get it fixed, but it's not like my man is swimming in millions and millions of dollars. What? Wait, you said it's not like he's swimming. he's swimming a million. De La Cruz, he's not only seven hundred twenty thousand dollars. I guess year. I didn't consider that. That's really stupid of me. Well, then if you got a if you got a Maybach, then I guess you can afford to fix it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'd be like, hey, I'm really sorry about that. It's kind of like an insult to injury, though. Not only did I did I hit a home run off you, but then I damaged your damage very you. expensive yeah, car. But you got to pay for it. Or do you think whose car did he hit? Hunter Green. All right, now, I, I assume Hunter has money. Or do you what think, are you? Yeah, what are you doing with think, a Maybach? You think Hunter? You think Hunter made the young up. man pay for it? There's no way. No I mean, way, maybe right? he did, but I feel like that would be cruel. Let's see what his contract is. Uh, I don't know between around five million net worth. This I I worry. I worry about the money spent on this car. When you park at a ballpark, it's like parking in the parking lot of a driving range or golf course. You park at your own risk. <laughs> Just know that you're in trouble. Mariners insider Shannon Dreyer is joining us from spring training. That's coming up at noon. Before we get to that, the biggest Mariners wild cards. Don't go anywhere. Bumpin' Stacy, Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. On Seattle Sports. Here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Stacy Ross. We're all aware of what a wild card is, right? I don't mean like playoffs wild card. Like, like how Uno, would you do how wild would card you, plus four. Sure. How would you define <laughs> wild card? Like if I said that guy's a wild card to the season. Wild card. Like you don't know what you're going to get. Okay. Yeah. Matt, how would you define wild card? That's a tough one. I think I go back to It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. There you go. Charlie was always the wild card. Okay. He's the wild card. Sure. Like, it can really um, shape the course of an episode. Uh, Absolutely. You know, maybe fill some plot holes. Uh, or, as Bump said, can can maybe impact the season because it could it could go bad. And, you know, that's not the worst thing ever. Like, um, for instance, if I said... I, not necessarily bad. Right. Just, you just, you're you just not sure know. about it. But, like... Certain guys can't be wild cards. Like if I was looking at the Seahawks season, this isn't a Seahawks segment, but if I was looking at the Seahawks season and I said, hey, tell me who's a wild card, you you wouldn't necessarily say DK Metcalf because the expectation is he be a good starter. And mm-hmm. if he uh, misses the season, that's a huge disappointment. You might say, I don't know. What about uh, what about Zach Charbonnet? What about Kenny McIntosh? What mm-hmm. about, you know, JSN? Like throw in someone who who if he contributes, would make a big difference, but you aren't sure what to expect, okay? 
That is what we're doing right now with the Mariners. So I don't want to hear Julio. Like, I do not want to see on the Mac and Jack's text line, Julio Rodriguez's name mentioned when I say, what are, a, what are the biggest Mariners wild cards? He is not a wild card. However, Bump, there are a few guys who are. So when you're looking at the biggest wild card for the Mariners in 2024, who's the name that comes to mind for you? The biggest wild card, man. I got to go with... Now, a lot of these dudes have an injury history, but uh, it's a good old Mitch, man, because it's a good one. It's out of his control. Last year was out of his control. He got hit by a pitch. You break your forearm. What do you do? I mean, he has a history of unfortunate events in his career. And I look at Mitch and I go, there are some players in sports that just all are always injured. Nothing they do. They could be walking down the stairs and roll their Derek ankle. Derrick Rose was just constantly. Just like, right. Oh. Derrick Rose was going to be my guy if he didn't yeah. um, blow his knees out. But there are some athletes who just had that injury bug. And I look at Mitch and I go, when he's healthy, man, he's a hell of a ball player. But he hasn't been healthy in, what, two to three years at this point. I believe he played in 60 games one year and, like, and he was an 50 the other year. when he played close to a full season. Yeah, so I'm looking at Mitch and I go, can you stay healthy? Um, and if you can do that, the chances that he is a main contributor on this team are pretty high because, like you mentioned, when he's healthy, my man is an all-star. Exactly. Um, <laughs> the 253, probably Julio Rodriguez. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, wild card for the Mariners. Someone who can put them over the edge if he has a good season, but I don't think they're necessarily like truly depending on. They are mm-hmm. depending on Julio looking like a candidate for MVP. Mm-hmm. They are not depending on this person looking like an MVP, but oh my God, if he has a career year, think of what the season can look like, and that is Ty France. Yeah, Ty France has been out at driveline. I saw Jen Mueller posting a comment from a press conference he had earlier today saying he was looking back at his swing and how ugly it was. He looks like he's slimmed up a little bit. I mean, I think that the Ty France, when it felt like Ty France, he can hit anywhere like that. Ty France disappeared Mm -hmm. for too many large chunks of time last year. And given his age, given his dedication this offseason, given the way that driveline worked for JP last season, I wonder if we could see production. I would love it, man. In uh, in 2022, he hit 20 bombs, 84 RBIs. Uh, this past season, 12 and uh, 58. Very right? Different. There's a clear drop going on there. If you know France's story, go ahead and look it up. He was also dealing with some off-the-field stuff mm-hmm. that's uh, mm-hmm. devastating. Man. Don't wish that on, on anybody. It can mess your mental up for sure. I like that pick because... When I think about the the Mariners playing good baseball, obviously you look at Julio, you look at Cal and JP, and then there's Ty France. I think he's one of like the uh, the, the pillars in this program when it comes to this team having success. So yeah, I, I like that Ty, that Ty France because he's a guy who's going to hit it everywhere and just get on on base and then keep the good times rolling. You want to get power out of this lineup. We spoke to uh, Salcedo yesterday. He says that um, this. This lineup is is more about contact rather than power, which I'm not mad at. Everyone loves the long ball. You, you love home runs. But too many times we had runners in scoring position and you didn't get it done. A guy like Ty France is the guy to get it done. So, yeah, I like that pick in Ty France being a wild card. What do you think about this one from the 253? Against the grain a little, but what about Bryce Miller? If he levels up again, we could be looking at a four aces situation. That was one of the ones I was going to pick, too, is Bryce. Go ahead, yeah, roll with Bryce that one. Miller, yeah, that'll man. be our last one here. Probably. Um. It's all about the pitching here, right? Yeah. They 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 set the standard. Now, obviously, you got to score runs. You got Julio in the game. But when people talk about the Mariners, the first thing they talk about is this rotation and this pitching staff. And if you can get 
an uptick out of Miller, and he's adding a pitch to it. I think is uh, the splitter, adding the splitter to his uh, his repertoire. Uh, the possibilities are going to be great. When you get production from young guys, that's always a plus. You got guys who you expect that are going to go out there and do their thing. You got uh, Luis Castillo. You got Logan Gilbert, who you're like, um, did I say Logan? Yeah, Yeah, Logan Gilbert, yeah, Uh, who you know are going to get their starts and you're going to be competitive. Now, we feel the same way about Miller, but there's always that hesitancy with young guys. You're like, all right, well, can he do it again? Mm -hmm. What's this year going to look like? What about that new pitch? So if Miller can get going, it's all good. Yeah, there's always that. God, I'm totally blanking on the center fielder for the – is he a center fielder for the Rangers? Outfielder for the Rangers who had like had a surprisingly great season and ended up being really solid for them. Young player, like first or second year. I'm blanking. I'll get back to this. Um, but um, but that's the kind of guy I'm thinking of is like you have what you think is a good recipe for a World Series team. Like you got Julio, you got, you know, a great pitching staff led by Castillo and and George and Logan. But then you have someone who surprises you. And when you look back at the end of the season, you say, I don't know that we'd be here without this guy. Mm-hmm. I wonder if in addition to Ty, in addition to Brian Wu or Miller um, or, uh, as you mentioned, Mitch Haniger, someone like Dom Canzone could yeah. be one of those guys. Mm-hmm. And importantly, one of the outfield guys, if it's a guy like Dom, allows you to get a little more rest for Mitch. So it could be kind of two things working out for you. Um, some other names uh, thrown out by folks uh, in addition to Dom uh, just any outfielder not named Julio. Uh, Mitch Garver. So just some of the new signings. Yep. Mitch Garver is your DH, obviously, another yep. big one. Yeah, I like these. Uh, you're listening to Bump and Stacy on Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. Let's ask Shannon Dreyer who she thinks could be a big wild card for the Mariners. Uh, she will join us from Peoria coming up in just a couple minutes. Don't go anywhere.